Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people it gives me a lot of hope if you liked locatora before you're gonna love season nine subscribe to our show and you'll see why locatora is your prima's favorite podcast listen to locatora radio as part of the michael Cultura podcast network available on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts I'm so glad I used my last Adderall for this. I feel on. Welcome to Like a Virgin, the show where we give yesterday's pop culture today's takes. I'm Rose Domu. And I'm Fran Torado. And we do have a secret third guest in the studio right now who's currently, <laughs> I think, waiting for an Uber. And um, much will be revealed. Much will be. Are we even allowed to say? We're allowed to say this is our podcast. I don't know. I don't Tommy know. Dorfman's the... in the studio right now. We just recorded an episode with her. <laughs> She is going to exercise restraint as we have uh, some Oscars commentary, if she can. I was told to be quiet. (laughs) Um, And we'll also be, well, I think, okay, the big thing is that we did finally see Sweeney Todd on Broadway. It's currently in previews. We saw the previews version, for sure. Yes, Fran has never seen Sweeney Todd before. I, of course, it's one of my favorites. Um, Top line, I'm going to say 7.5 out of 10. Wow. Honestly, I didn't know, I didn't think it was going to be that high. I thought, I I don't know how we felt leaving the theater. I was like, I'm not sure how I overall experienced this, but as you said, like, I've always wanted to see a staging. And so I was just kind of like so happy to be there the whole time. I was happy to be there too. And the reason it's so high is because it's Sweeney Todd. Yeah. It is an incredible staging yeah. of the show. Um, the 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 scenery is amazing. The twenty six piece orchestra incredible. A lot of the voices are very good. Joanna's sounds really great. Um, that kid from Stranger Things is Toby is really good. Um, the conductor of the twenty six piece orchestra was. Suckable. Uh, Suckable. (laughs) Josh Groban would suck, but that's kind of the problem. Okay, so now we get to the critiques, which Mm -hmm. are um, Josh Groban and Annalie Ashford, both about 10 years too young to play either of the roles. Mm. Um, Something I wouldn't have thought of, because I'm not like like as in the theater 
the theater. Uh, I didn't know that. I, I, yeah, I, I didn't. Ha- I didn't, wasn't thinking about that when I watched it. Annalie also doing a horrible Cockney accent, which was baffling to me because when I watched the Monica Lewinsky like kind of show or whatever, she does an amazing. She's really good at accent work, and she's such a classically trained. Like what I was just, I was like, isn't Cockney like? One of the easier ones, you know? <laughs> and the, the most unfortunate thing is just she just can't sing it. Her voice isn't powerful enough. Her, her voice sounded great, yeah, but with the accent, it, like, kind of muddled it, I think. No, it, I mean, she, she couldn't hit the notes. And I <gasps> mm. think she acted the role really well. Like, the comedy of it was great. She's such a great physical comedian. She had the only laughs the there's, whole There's a show. moment where she like, slides down the stairs that was super funny. Her by the sea, like, brought I'm, the house down. Impeccable. But it didn't bring the house down vocally. None of her vocals were quite where they were. And then with Josh Groban, it, he, was, the op- it, was, it was a little too perfect. Yeah. He it's needed to vocally. be a little more gruff. And, I mean, Sweeney Todd's supposed to be scary, and Josh Groban is not scary. No. That's suckable. <laughs> Tommy's like, you're like, no. Um, I I feel like yeah. The the thing with me was like I um I feel like Josh's vocal quality lent itself perfectly to like the you know the operatic vocals of a Todd of like Todd right as a character. But like the only, I mean, again, we're I was DMing someone else who's like in the Broadway world about this, who maybe had some friends in the production, and he was defending it a little bit to me. And I was like, okay, we saw a very, very preview. It's like it had only been in previews for like a week or two, and so we saw a very raw staging. But like the only acting choice Josh Groban made was to like have a limp, and I was like, yeah, I was like, was weird. no other choices. I was like, make choices, be scary, be weird, be funny. And the thing, the thing that I appreciate about Annalie Ashford's Mrs. Lovett, even though we, you know, you, you said she's a little young, she didn't have that coarseness. I, I agree with that. Um, I felt like, you know, she added this modernity to Miss to Mrs. Lovett that I appreciated. I was like, that makes she she put her own little spice on it. I see and love like everything that she did, and I was like, this is this is working for me. Tommy, you want to chime in before you exit the building? I haven't seen it yet, but I did think the announcement was weird, and I'm going to try and see it this month. And I, it's one of my favorite musicals of all time. Favorite song? Yeah. Who would you play? Oh my god! I mean, I could see you as the beggar woman. Yeah, the beggar woman. Is that Helen Bottom Carter? Oh, no, no, it's no, um, that's, that's, no, City like on that. Fire. Yeah, that is unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> City on Fire. Okay, she's she's gonna exit the studio hunched um, over. I just really love Joanna, honestly, as a song. I just mm, think it's so beautiful. incredible, and like, I just the movie version of that. I actually haven't seen it on stage before. I'm realizing I only know the movie version. I've yeah, never unfortunately, seen Anthony in this production was not great. Anthony Porosky. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he, and with that, shockingly, we love you. but we have to say the worst part of this production of Sweeney Todd <laughs> was the choreography. What was going on, Diva? They, the thing about Sweeney Todd specifically mm. is that the music is so powerful, and the voices singing, especially the the first song, the Ballad of Sweeney Todd, is that the music and the voices woven together are so intricate and powerful that literally nothing else needs to happen on stage. And yet, they undercut that in this production by having them do, as Fran pointed out, all this Martha Graham-ass <laughs> choreography, like they're in a high school production of Hair. Yeah, it was, Martha Graham is exactly the vibe. It was this kind of pseudo-contemporary, like, fluid bodies like one of the so honestly i think rose and i i don't know if this is your experience my experience the from the first song we immediately felt this like offness about what about this kind of like how the the ensemble was staged and 
something that they try right from jump is the classic, <laughs> the classic Martha Graham, like kind of a, a pulsating body blob of like, you know, ensemble members like pulsing and whatever. And yeah, if like you, turning into each other, like one writhing mass of flesh. And, and I think it might've been a previews thing, but I also was like, the people in this cast are vocalists. I did not see them all as like choreo girls. And I think when you do the, perfectly synchronized human blob it's like you do have to be perfectly synchronized and they were not it just doesn't need you don't need choreography with this music specifically with Sondheim you should just stand there and sing it should be good enough that you can do that and it will be powerful and there were moments where they did small movements like little jerky head things great that is as much as you need to do it was so overwrought and over choreographed and over choreographed and it just didn't need to be but I still say if you love Sweeney Todd if you want to see a big splashy Broadway production of it definitely go see it it's it's absolutely worth it I still had a fantastic time and you'll probably see a better version than what we saw from the previews I feel I mean it it probably won't change that much from opening but it might change a little. You, and you, I would be interested in seeing it again after it opens. You were saying, you were like, what if they just cut all the choreo or something? I, like, they could. But you're so right. It just They just need spotlight lit from underneath so their faces look really scary and they need a park and bark. Ookie, That's it. Ookie spooky. Yeah. Um, speaking of the ookie spooky, <laughs> last night were the Oscars. Hollywood spookiest night. Time of record. Yeah, Last night were the Oscars. Yes. Um, Rose had a little... I had a little Oscars gathering. It was my first time entertaining that many people in my home. With how your did huge I do, couch. How did I do as a hostess? The couch was doing a lot of work the snacks that you that you laid out diva and we didn't even eat them all i have so many dips in my fridge i took cheese home i also last night i was so worried about people eating on the couch and i was because mm. i have a white couch mm. well it's like an ivory color and i was so worried about it about someone like spilling on it nothing happened this morning i i like checked it over i was cleaning it was perfect and then what did i do I cut my leg <gasps> and bled all over the couch this morning. Honey. But it's a it's a performance fabric. It's I already cleaned it off. It's, it's a fine. performance fabric. It is. I bought I bought a I'm not gonna get a white couch in a in a fabric that would not like be cleanable. As a seasoned hostess, I mean you're also a seasoned hostess, but not with this house. Um, I will say, little tip, I do not serve foods that can stain anything. So that blueberry chevre you had. Never Which went. nobody ate. I ate it. You I, were the, and you took it home. I love the Trader Joe's blueberry chevre. Okay, I love that cheese. I bought so much food last yesterday. <laughs> like I bought it as if I was hosting fifteen people because I haven't hosted in a while. But we horked it th- down. I thought I did a good job. The punch was delicious. Another thing I would not have allowed in my home: sustainable. Okay, well, but I but but it was delicious. It was delicious. But that is a classic recipe of sorbet and sprite and sprite and like and what? grenadine yeah. and cherries. Yeah. Um. So. Our experience of watching the Oscars last night was basically every time a new person was showcased on camera, our friend Hilton or I would say, would suck. uh, Or (laughs) talked about how much we needed their loads. And that was kind of our Oscars experience. There was a kind of loadometer. There Um, was a loadometer. (laughs) It was just like, how many loads? Ah! And when Pedro Pascal came up to present, we were like, loadometer off the charts. We all screamed. Well, we screamed, I think before you got there, Pedro did some red carpet interview. And he did a thing where he, like, Looked at the camera, and we all Daddy. we like we all climaxed instantaneously. We all became his baby girls. Um, I he's the baby girl he, is the real <laughs> tea. <laughs> and he his his Oscars joke was gay. 
It was gay. Well, he's... We'll, well, we won't say it I on mean, the podcast, well, allegedly, the thing, well, allegedly, allegedly, allegedly. But, well, but what we can talk about is that he had that post that was kind of alluding to the fact that, like, when he was like, the answer is, like, in the wind or whatever, he's kind of saying, mm-hmm. like, if you're asking questions about my se- sexuality, I don't give a fuck. Like, yeah. it's there. It's there for the taking. I don't need to comment on it further. If that was your interpretation of the post, which some people would not interpret it that way. I feel like if you're in your 50s and you're at the what is the prime peak of your career, his sister is trans, um, Bella is, you know, non-binary. You have so many people in your life where this is like a, a, a prescient issue. And for him to be like, yeah, why not? Like, I thought it was gorgeous. King behavior. Um, Oscars, you know, very, as expected, everything, everywhere, all at once swept. No Oscars for Tar. It won... At- Literally nothing. It went home empty-handed. Todd Field and his giant hat must have been pissed. Yeah, it was honestly there was that was something that I thought was interesting about like the group that we had watching is between you, me, Hilton, Peyton, Ty, Michael Kuby, like Twitter people were we were there like we saying were, tweets no, in we real were time. In the war room, no, it was the kind <laughs> the of situation room. where it's the like laptop you, was he, out. you hear the tweets before you see them on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> we were like workshopping everything live. Oh, so it's like nasty. someone would say a joke, and then if it got enough laughter, you would see them pull out their phone. And I think that you know the tar, I think our surprise about the tar of it all was kind of that, right? Like tar was a Twitter movie. Um, not to reduce it because it's obviously an amazing film, but like. The, we get into these like little echo chambers where we're just like, this is the best thing ever created, right? Over and over and over again. And then it's like, and then, you know. But then also Kate did win a lot of, a, at a lot of the awards shows leading oh. up to the Oscars. Oh. Yeah, She was the front runner. I mean, Michelle, I would say Michelle was more the, the, the populist choice. Hmm. Um, but, you know, for, for both... Brendan and Michelle, like, these are career wins more than I think specifically for the performance they delivered. As much as we didn't want that fat suit to have an Oscar. The fat suit literally won, won an, an Oscar! Oscar. <laughs> so insane. To say out loud. I mean, yeah, it was wild. I mean, Rose, a victory for us, a loss for you for everything, everywhere, all at once, too. So It's not like I hate it. You but, kind of, but I'm I'm just. I mean, as I'm glad. Week. I'm glad that it's over. I'm glad that award season is over. I'm glad that almost a year after I saw it, that we can now stop talking about everything everywhere all at once. I I have to. I would. It's I gonna been, nothing nowhere all and, and never ever. <laughs> <laughs> nothing nowhere, nowhere never, never ever. ever. <laughs> okay, I I I have been thinking about that record. Um, about your about your everything everywhere. A diatribe for lack of a, my of a, fatigue is fatigue. really what it is. I have to say, I was thinking about it, and I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's exhausting when things are talked about for a year. Avatar: Way of Water has been talked about for seven years. Do you not grow tired? But like, as of last year, I didn't even believe it was really coming out. So okay. it's kind of a different thing. Okay, sure. Okay. Uh, some stuff we couldn't get into. The Last of Us finale happened. Fran hasn't watched it yet, so we'll we'll. Um, hit it next week. And also, we have a very special announcement coming next mm-hmm. week. So hang Multiple on t- special. Multiple announcements. Multiple loads. Uh, <laughs> hang on to your butts. The loadometer is the real. The loadometer is the, that little thing. Ticker. It's going to break. It's going all the way the over. The glass is going to shatter. It's like the, the, the side that where it goes all the way over is like bright silver. And there's going to be cum everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so whatever it is, just like do not miss next week's episode. That's no. what we're saying. If you, if you sometimes 
sometimes skips skip episodes, which if you are, you're not a real virgin. Um, do not skip next week's episode. It is going to be packing. No, make sure you are extra submissive and breedable next week. <laughs> Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. She's breathing right now? Yes, she's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the L.A. Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Rose the Wise Woman once said, I was in the two and two. A wise woman? <laughs> oh, yeah, a wise woman. I think she's wise beyond her years. Um, and I, you know, four, four not very wise women once said that New York was the fifth character. <laughs> <laughs> In a TV show, sure, sure, sure. Um, 
Today, we are doing a cute little episode on New York City, love of our lives. Concrete jungle, where <laughs> dreams are made. <laughs> uh, that will never not be funny to me. That should be a hat. Everything should be a hat. <laughs> Everything should concrete be a hat. Should be, concrete jungle, where dreams are made of. Um, anyways, in this concrete jungle, Rose, uh, we, we're, doing this, we're doing this episode on our beloved concrete jungle uh, to honor, you know, the, the, my return following your return. Yeah, and we us, are both New Yorkers again. once again. And I... Okay, I think this is like a... Sorry. I'll wait till you open your Sorry. LaCroix. <laughs> my LaCroix. Sometimes you forget that sound travels and gets picked up by the microphone. I'm not the only one. I'm not the only one. But I am usually the one. That's <laughs> you are I'm usually the one. <laughs> okay. Um, when do you? Th- how long do you think you have to live here before you consider yourself a New Yorker? Um, um, I'll just say six years because that's how long I lived in New York until I moved to LA. See, people I people say ten. Everyone, I think it, I think it's ten. ten. Everyone says ten. I think it's ten. That's like kind of the standard. But I was trying to you know put a spin on it. For to for you for my convenience to validate your yes. your own experience. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you would count, no, never mind. Continue. So you think it should be ten? I Why? think it's ten. I I don't know. A decade just sounds right to me. Mm-hmm. But also, the real tea, honestly, is it's not it's not that you have to be in New York for ten years. To me, you're a real New Yorker when you want to move to LA. <laughs> and when you want to move to LA, like the magic of New York has worn and off. And it does you. kind of happen around 10 years. Yes. Yes, it really does. I know so many people that move to LA for like one, two, or maybe three years and then come back. Yeah. And well, I think we'll, that's a phase. We'll get to that. But I do yes. want to talk about the our, you know, our personal New York mythology because New York City um does loom large in the cultural consciousness. Mm-hmm. It is a real place, but it is also a, a like very um, fictionalized. Yeah, it it is it is an idea as well as a, a real place, mm-hmm. and I think everyone grows up consuming media about New York City. Everyone grows up thinking they understand what this place is, and um, I don't when what when I am what. How how did New York show up for you in your childhood growing up? Like, when did you become conscious of it? I think my earliest consciousness of New York is James and the Giant Peach, which, you know, a lot of the arc of that movie is about getting to New York City, being on the Empire State Building. Um, there's this kind of grand adventure and then the Emerald City at the end. And I think that there are a lot of media like that with New York as this kind of, like, you know, um, final domain or whatever. Um, the final doll. Yes, the final doll. I loved James the Giant Peach. And that movie really is, like, a love letter to New York in a very weird way. And a love letter to Peaches. Yes, and a love letter to Peaches. Uh, in, uh, you know, Much uh, like Call Me By Your Name. Yeah, James the Giant Peach walked so that Call Me By Your Name could run. Um, <clears throat> I uh, But the real answer is Ugly Betty, which we'll talk about in our Ugly Betty episode. Mm-hmm. But definitely seeing Betty make it in New York, try to make it in New York, like constantly fail, constantly uh, watch people take advantage of her, I think was, you know, definitely a fictionalized version of New York, but it was also something that was a lot realer than the media at the time. Like, I, um, you know, have actually gone through so many things that actually happened in the New York life of Betty. So, was your sex in the city? 
Is that an accurate guess? Um, no, I mean, I guess it's kind of different for me because I grew up coming here so often. Right. You know, my mom is from New York. My mom is a Long Islander. And when I was growing up, my mom's whole family still lived up here. My grandparents lived here. Um, they, they had a house in Florida. But I I grew up visiting New York City and I think Broadway was probably the entry point for me mm. because those are my earliest memories of the city are are coming in with my grandparents and them taking us to see shows. Do you remember anything about your very first trip? Or like what not, you saw? Not very first, but definitely one of the earliest ones I remember was coming in with my grandparents to see Annie Get Your Gun mm. starring Bernadette Peters. Oh my God. It was an iconic um moment in my life and I just I, yeah I have lots of memories of like walking around Times Square mm-hmm. and seeing the bright lights big city mm-hmm. um but so yeah for me growing up uh the I had both the idealized version of New York that existed in movies and and film and books and then also the actual experience of it I had coming here because, like, I spent a lot of time here as a child, and then I came to New York on my own on a lot of school trips. So I had real-life experience of the city as I was also watching this fantastical version of it. Mm. And yes, definitely, I think Sex in the City was the first time that I really experienced the the fantasy New York in media, mm. um, the sort of um, the adult New York, the non, you know, Broadway New York. I feel like there comes a time, like, you and I are kind of breaking down the the difference between the fantasy New York, right, and the real version. And I feel like, I think the first time you go to New York, it is kind of immediately demystified. And then when you live in New York, after like the first like year or two, it's completely demystified. Like, it's all over. Like, I remember my first trip to New York was, I think, probably to see Wicked for something. My dad took me and my cousin. Um, I don't remember much of the trip, much like you, but I do remember, like, stepping off of a train or something in Times Square and then just getting that wave of, like, hot garbage cigarettes piss and halal food smell. You know what mm. I mean? That, like, Times Square just smells like. And it's not the... Sm- if you, you know, have grown up with the Emerald City version of New York, that's not what you think... You don't know what it smells like, right? And that, like, wave, the immediate immersion into what is, like, the worst part of New York City was something that I was just like, oh, this is New York. Like, I was probably in fifth, fifth grade or something. Because but... we always came here when I was a kid in the winter mm. because I grew up in Florida so we always wanted to be here when it was cold because we didn't have that. Right, that makes sense. Um, and so that was – I never experienced, like, hot piss garbage New York <laughs> until I was – and maybe until I lived here. Because yeah. I I came here a lot in high school for either school trips or my older brother moved here after college and I came and stayed with him a couple times. But again, it was always in the winter. There was one memorable time when he was living in Chelsea in a studio apartment. And I came and stayed with him. And he worked at, um, he worked in the, what is now the Viacom building. Mm. And he got me into TRL. 
and I went to TRL in high school. I know nothing about TRL because I didn't grow up with cable, but I do know that that's a big deal. It was a big deal. Do you remember and who I, was, like, guesting or if there are any... No, but I did go to the Billabong store downstairs <laughs> and bought some flip-flops. Oh, of course she did. Yes. Uh, um, I don't remember anything else that I did in my first trips. I remember getting lost in, like, a kind of pre... Not pre-gentrification Brooklyn, but, like, the Williamsburg that does not exist now. You know, like, it was still before, you know... Silicon Valley and all these business mm-hmm. bros moved there. Um, I, I mean, I remember the first time I went to Williamsburg when I was a freshman in college. You know, so this is 2006. Yeah. And we went to Union Pool. And I just remember, like, feeling like the walk from the L train to Union Pool was, like, so long. And scary. And I was like, where are we? Have we left the bar and went to someone's apartment a couple blocks away. Oh, and I was like... Because I, at that time, I was living on the Upper East Side, so it was so foreign to me. Mm. And it just felt incredibly lawless, and we were in <laughs> someone's, like, loft apartment. I was like, what the fuck You, is you kind place? of are giving Carrie right now. I like, am. No, yeah. totally. It's all the way in Brooklyn, or, like, honestly, like, any New York housewife that's like, oh, they want us to go to Brooklyn. Oh, my God. But, um... You are in high school. I am in Brooklyn. Yeah. I mean, you bring up a good point, which is that my early trips here before I lived here, it was all about the the very touristy parts of New York. Seeing Broadway shows, going to, you know, Chinatown to get food, going to places like F.A.O. Schwartz. I used to love going oh to F.A.O. Schwartz as a R. kid. Um, going to Jekyll and Hyde. Have you ever been to Jekyll and Hyde? I'm- don't even know what that oh is. Oh my god, it's a theme restaurant that's like spooky. Oh, so and it's they... like a rain, rainforest cafe, Planet Hollywood. Yeah, but they have like, like shows and it's like spooky vibes. Oh, um, so it was fun. Very fun. What about when you like finally moved here? Like, do, do you like digging into? I guess our mythologies, as you said. Like, what is there? Like, do you remember like first impressions of like? Because when you move, move here, it's a different. It's a different thing. Yeah. Well, you know. Moving here from, you know, I moved here at 18 for college, and it is crazy that the f- that the first place where I had complete freedom to do whatever I want with no adult supervision was New York City, you know? <laughs> you kind of did that through your whole childhood, but okay, continue. Yeah, that's true. No, but I mean... No, you know, I, I know what you're saying. I I'm just being funny. My mom, like, dropped me off at my dorm yeah. and then went home, and then I could walk out of my dorm <laughs> and, you and, said, go, and go anywhere in New York City, and I did, and I got into a lot of trouble. I did a lot of stupid shit. It, it is really crazy to, to drop a teenager off in... You know, the this city where you can do anything at any time and be like, okay, figure it out. Do you look back at this, like, your first few years fondly? Or is it something that... Oh, absolutely. That, okay, good, good. Because you, you were saying, like, I did a lot of stupid, stupid shit, I got in trouble. No, and... that was, that was that so was much the... <laughs> fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay, good, good, good. Because I think that you have to come to this city and make a lot of mistakes. Like, you have to be... You have to get in trouble. You have to... Um, meet the wrong people, fall in love with the wrong people, like, go to the wrong party. Like, you know, um, I think that some of my more visceral moments like that are, like, you know, uh, I used to host 
I said this on the pod before, I used to host like a terrible party at Beauty and Essex that was cocktail tire. And I remember like sitting on the last step at the Jay-Z Metro stop, like in a suit, like barfing and like someone getting me into a cab and like I lost my shoes or like something like that. It's just like thing messy nights like that are, you know, they stick in your mind because it's like when you're experiencing it in real time, it's not like, um, oh, I'm in trouble. It's, oh, I'm in trouble in New York City. Yes. Right? And that, I think, feels bigger and scarier. But yes. it makes you the who you freedom, are. The freedom, the New York is, what I've always thought is New York is a place of limitless possibilities. Yes. Anything For better or worse. can happen at any time, and it will, and it does, and that has truly been my experience of it. Um, What are all the different neighborhoods you've lived in here? I've lived in, uh, so I went to, I moved to New York for a graduate certificate program at NYU and briefly lived in Gramercy in a dorm, moved to Williamsburg and then South Williamsburg, um, like the Hasidic part of Williamsburg and was there for three years. And now I live I I moved to like well, Crown redacted right. We're not going to say where we live. Right, now. right, right. I I moved to Crown Heights, and now I'm in another another neighborhood. I mean, I'm in Bedside, an undisclosed location. Everyone knows I'm in Bedside. It's fine. Um, it's a I, big, it's a big neighborhood. When I moved to New York for college in 2006, which is the year after the Devil's product came out, so you know I was really feeling myself. Um, I. Lived my dorm was in Midtown, okay, and then after that I moved to the Upper East Side of the edge of Spanish Harlem. Ooh. My first New York apartment was on Fifth Avenue, so when we walked out the front door of our building, Central Park was right there, mm. and it ended a block up. So that was really nice. I lived there for through the rest of college. Was it chic? Being on the upper, upper, uh, it was not chic. The way we lived in that apartment was not chic. (laughs) Nothing chic about it. Um, And then I lived on the Lower East Side Mm. in a two bedroom apartment with four other people. Oh my God. Um, Those are those are my crackhead days. Oh no, Um, not literal. And then I was one of the early Bushwick gentrifiers. Mm -hmm. I moved. (laughs) Truly, I moved to Bushwick in two thousand. Oh well, no, I briefly lived. In Chinatown, which I actually loved. That also sounds chic. Um, it was chic. And then I moved to Bushwick. <laughs> and then I lived in Bushwick for eight years until I moved until I moved to LA and then moved back here. And now I live in beep beep. Um Okay, I for a while you you kind of really wanted to be a Manhattan girly. You were like, I think I want to live in Manhattan. Yeah, I do think that at some point in my life, perhaps I will want to live in Manhattan again. I always, I my fantasy for sure was West Village. Always growing yeah. up, once I found out that that's where Carrie's actual apartment was. <laughs> um, it's on as well as, it's on Perry Street, if you've never been. And like every A-lister celebrity, whatever, Julianne Moore, Meryl Street. But I always wanted to live in a brownstone um, in the West Village. Mm. But then um, when I was in my early freelancing days, I um, went to interview Lev Grossman, who is the author of The Magicians, which oh. I think I've talked about. 
on the show before. And I went to interview him at his house um, in this beautiful brownstone that he lived in, in the neighborhood that I currently live in. And I remember oh. thinking when I went to interview him and we hung out at his house, we like drank a bunch of whiskey. And I remember thinking, this is the life I want. I want to live in this neighborhood one day. Mm. And now I live a couple blocks away from there. And so I, it is like very much like I have finally the aversion of the New York life that I like really imagined myself having a long time ago. Honestly, same with my apartment. I, I truly, I'm like living in the apartment of my dreams, a very expensive apartment of my dreams that like I want to live in forever. Your apartment as well. Again, not telling where it is. Your apartment is a forever apartment. It is. So it's definitely, I, I, I think this is the last apartment that I want to rent. Mm -hmm. I think I will move when I'm ready. I mean, who knows when this will happen. When I'm ready to buy something, hopefully Mm -hmm. in a couple years, if that's even something we're able to do. It honestly sounds like a fantasy. Buy property in New York. But it is, it's not it's not the apartment of my dreams, but it's definitely something that I always fantasized about, which is a loft in New York City. And that is what I have now, and it is it is a certain kind of fantasy. We are honestly being so unrelatable talking about, like, uh, renting our one-bedrooms in cute little neighborhoods, but, like, we have, the virgins have to know, like, we came from the bottom. I, like, I'm, we no, lived we, in scum. Like, uh, well, I mean, I just said, I lived yes. in a two-bedroom apartment yes. with four other people. Yes. And this is how it worked. So in each of the bedrooms... There was a loft in each of them. So one person's bed was in the loft and one person's bed was on the floor. And then our fifth, the fifth person in the apartment, her bed, her, her bed, her loft was in the living room above the refrigerator. And we lived on Rivington and Clinton, which, you know, is like a very gaggy intersection. And we all paid $500 a month. That is crazy and it's a like, fantasy. And, like, it didn't matter that we were all sleeping on top of each other because this was the time in my life when I was, like, out every night, every day. I was, like, partying all the time. If I was home, we were having a party there or just, like, sleeping or whatever. Um, you know, that was my, my young, wild days. Although, like, pre-my wild um, party girl days, this was my wild straight partying days um, when I would just like party with my straight friends and then like go out and hook up with randos all the time oh my god that was that fun or not yeah it was fun sure was, you know I was living I was like sowing my wild oats like that's the apartment where I did I turn 21 there it was like right after I turned 21 um, so it was like New York was my oyster. I feel like it has to, you have to hit the ground running in New York. You have to live paycheck to paycheck. New York has to be your oyster to some extent. I, I, one of my, I think my first year in New York, I had like 11 addresses in like one year. Like I was just moving and moving and moving and moving. I remember subletting a place in Williamsburg for $600 a month that had no windows, none. It was, like, so awful. But, like, you know, you're just happy to be there, and you it's a make-it-work, it's always a make-it-work moment. When I first moved to New York, I actually slept on the couch of someone that I met on Tumblr. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Like, Tumblr really brings people together. And honestly, it was, I, I will be so grateful for this as, like, my induction to New York, or rather the induct, like, um, 
indoctrinating me into New York in my first like few weeks because he was a more crunchy like artist Williamsburg type and so he showed me those parts of New York like he took me to Reese Beach he took me where to where I never want to go again yeah I love Reese Beach we have opposite opinions. I hate it I um you know uh he took me to Metropolitan I saw my I had never seen a drag show before he showed me my first drag show it was pro- I'm pretty sure my first drag show was severely maimed Oh, that's I love. I love Mame. I think a really good. I think that's a really good first show. And I just didn't really know what drag was, but I think that when you can, because a lot, and I think a lot of the reasons that I didn't know what it was is because of my background. But also, like, drag is something that isn't really good on on a video. You have to be in person to to see what it feels like. And I think that that you know said a lot about the kind of New York that I was attracted to and immediately found myself inside of, you know, it's like the space of being in a drag performance. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing. Right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the L.A. Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes. That it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. 
Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So we we talked about how we kind of now have achieved a sort of real-life version of the New York that we fantasized about, but was there a moment for you when your real-life experience of being here really clashed with the fantasy New York? Like, do you remember a moment of that, like, fantasy New York kind of shattering for you? My Joan Didion goodbye to all that moment? Um... Um, I'm the first one that comes to mind is when my first boyfriend in New York broke up with me. It's the only time I've ever been broken up with. And I just remember like crying on a bus, like leaving Park Slope. Oh, crying on a bus is so humiliating. And then as I was getting off the bus, still crying, I fell, ate shit. Scuffed, like got like scuffed my knees, was like covered in blood and like crying. And it was just, it was a low moment for a lot of different reasons. Um, because, you know, career stuff was always stressful. Boy stuff was stressful. Um, trying to pay rent was stressful. And uh, I think, it, yeah, it's, you, everyone has a kind of boiling point or a, a moment where it's just like, oh, fuck, like, what am I doing? But, you know, it, it didn't last that long. What about you? I think for me, it actually was that first time I went to Brooklyn because I think mm-hmm. It wasn't necessarily a negative experience. It was just um, a realization that the city was so much bigger than what I had imagined it as or what or what the version that had been sold to me was. Like, New York City was not just Times Square and Chinatown and Bloomingdale's yeah, and Central Park. Um, there was... There were all these other boroughs, and they were full of real people living their lives. You just reminded me that in my, at my very first New York trip when I was in fifth grade, I did make pilgrimage to the Balto statue in Central Park. Wow. Did you were also you a Balto go to... girl? Uh, I was not. Oh. I have always wanted to piss on... Um, the Imagine um, <laughs> etching. Oh my god! All at, the, at Strawberry Fields, the hippies would be so mad at you. I love making hippies mad. No, I, w- I would love to piss on the Balto statue. Um, Balto was hot. Can we say that? We can say that. <laughs> um, so we both have left New York. I've left New York a couple times, but I think the, the we both did like you know the real leaving New York when we moved to Los Angeles. Um, the weekend before I moved, which was during COVID, um, so obviously, like, New York wasn't exactly what it was, but it was June 2020, so things were kind of starting to to come back. Um, uh, my best friend did rent a car so we could do a goodbye tour of New York. Mm, I and, remember you talking about Yeah, this. so my the stops for my goodbye tour were, I believe, we... We maybe got bagels in the morning, and then 
went to Central Park. I went to the Alice in Wonderland statue, which I love. Um, then we drove. Then we drove over to the Gershwin, um, which is the theater where Wicked is, mm. just to like wave and say hi. Um, so corny. Then we. The virgins don't know. I mean, not all the virgins know. You are a corny girl. I am a very, very corny girl. I'm Carrie girl. Bradshaw. You are Carrie. Um, then we drove downtown and went to Katz's and got corned beef sandwiches. You had to what go. she was having. I had what she was having, um, and then we we went to the West Village, went to Carrie's apartment, okay. and took also a picture. took a video, oh. um, and also there is a video of us singing of us singing the Sex and the City theme song outside Carrie's apartment. Then I think we went we went to Magnolia Bakery and got cupcakes, even though Magnolia is not the best cupcakes in the city. Real ones, no. Billy's Bakery. Which I don't even know if it still exists. Nobody thinks Magnolia is good. Magnolia is not good. Cupcakes um, are bad. Cupcakes are this delicious. Is, this is the first wrong. This was my first wrong take on Like a Virgin. I remember when I told you that you were like, "What the fuck are you talking about?" But cupcakes are are just not good. They're they're they don't make sense um, to me. Did you do any sort of? Goodbye, New York tour. What, no. When you left, no, you're you're no. not sentimental about stuff like that. I, you know, it depends. The context of my leaving New York was like very fraught and you know very different from yours. I left New York when I wasn't really ready to. Mm-hmm. I was in love with my Brooklyn fam. I was in love with drag here. I was in. I felt like I had just gotten a kind of new momentum in New York and all of a sudden I had this job in LA lined up for me and it was something that I felt like I couldn't pass up and so I was like you know I can do this and come back to Brooklyn every month and I kind of I mean when it wasn't a pandemic like I kind of did um so it never felt as much like a goodbye but no yeah my goodbye was pretty much like I sent an email to like all my loved ones and that and like and I was just like I'm so sorry like I, this job is happening immediate immediately and I have to go now and it was it was actually really sad but I I think that um there's a lot of like drama and a lot of Joan Diddy and goodbye to all that energy when it when it comes to like leaving New York that like I didn't want to participate in because I was just like I'm not leaving like I know New York is my final destination this is like a goodbye for now, you know? And it, mm. I, I was sad to leave it. I, I really was, even though I appreciate the break and everyone, I think, needs breaks from New York. I, I felt the same way. I knew that it was a goodbye for now. I, I said to everyone that I was leaving with the intention of coming back. Um, but it did feel to me like the end of an era, a very long era, because I lived... But when I left, I had lived in New York for 14 years, mm. which is a really long fucking time. Yeah. Um, you know, it was like my whole adulthood took place here. Um, and I just felt like that time of my life was over. I was ready to, you know, move into the next part of my life and my career. I thought that was in L.A. And like in certain ways it was. But then... Deciding to come back, you know, I always knew I was going to come back. New York, same as you, New York does feel like home. I do consider myself a New Yorker. I always knew I would be back here. I just thought I would be in L.A. for longer. Um, but I felt like I was in L.A. for too long. Like, maybe, like, six months too long. But it also, I mean, the pandemic skewed so yep. much of it. Like, I was... It was basically I, one year. Like, I was in Los Angeles for... Just under two and a half years, it went by so quickly, mm. and it feels like. But it also, and it feels like I was there for no time at all. And I know that that's not actually that long of a time. But I, 
I just felt this place calling me back. And I do think that most of the people I know who are New Yorkers, like, it's not about the time that they spent here. I do think, like, there is a call that you hear Mm -hmm. that tells you you need to be here. And when you find your place, I think that's when you're a New Yorker. I agree. It's when you find your people, like you find your subculture. And and um, yeah, that's so true. I think it's something that honestly separates like New Yorkers from people that move to Los Angeles or any other cities. Like if you move to New York, it's like because you you know who you are and you're waiting for like everyone to like discover you, right? Like you you're you you have bought into like who you are as a person and everything that makes you great. And you're like, I'm just waiting for everyone to like catch up with me. You know what I mean? And I think that there's so much power in that like New York ambition that like lets you, as we've been talking about, like manifest, manifest your dreams and and mm-hmm. really create the job that you want, create the world that you want, like anything you want. You, there's also, you have to be a masochist if yeah. you want to live here. Yeah, you do. Because it's so hard to survive here and the feeling of accomplishment you get from, you know, if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. It's It's so corny, but the reason why all of these sayings, why like all of those like corny, these ideas about New York are so enduring is because ultimately they're true. Mm -hmm. You have to hustle so hard mm. to survive here. It's like an extra job on top of whatever it is you do mm-hmm. is just, you know, making it. Mm-hmm. And once you have accomplished that, it does really feel like doing that anywhere else is so easy. And like, you feel like a big fish anywhere else. Yeah. Right? I mean, that sounds so condescending, but it's like, it is kind of true. It's, it's, I, I think that it can be a bad and a good thing. And, um, you know, being, being back here, um, it just feels so much different. I feel like a grown up in a way that I didn't the last time I was here. Same. And I just like, um, you know, like in season five of Sex and the City, when Carrie said that she was dating New York, mm-hmm. um, that's how I feel. I'm yeah. like falling in love with with um, New York again, and and and, uh, and ain't nobody talking shit about my boyfriend, is yeah. what Carrie says in that episode. New York is, like, a little bit of, like, an abusive boyfriend, though. Like, New York will, like... Don't t- cancel us for saying that. <laughs> <laughs> New York will absolutely, like, just, like, you know, fuck your brains out and, like, make you feel amazing and then wake up the next morning and, like, you know, kick you in the nards or, like, you know, make fun of you in front of your friends or whatever. You know what's the chicest thing you can do in New York that you don't really do anymore and I miss it so much? Mm, what? Hailing a cab. Ah. Uh, Taxi. Just Nothing chicer. Stepping out onto a curb, like pointing your toe, yes. lifting your arm up in the air. A little oh, finger flick. I'm I miss that era of of because now it's all Ubers yeah. and like you can't you you know I moved here in the wake of Sex in the City, like the the Devil Wears Prada, Ugly Betty was on the air. Like I was living that fantasy. I was like. I mean, I was not living that fantasy because I was, like, broke. I was not a woman yet. Whatever. Um, But I still have many moments of stepping onto the curb and hailing my little taxi. How do you feel about, like, in this Emerald City kind of version of New York, 
this is a city that a lot of people come to to be surrounded by more queer people, right? To experience nightlife, to experience drag, to experience whatever it is queer and trans people do here, which is a lot of different shit. Do you feel like, you know, people in small towns or people that aren't in New York, like, should move here? Do you think that, like, mm, being here, making it here is something that's, like, unlike any other? Like, what would you say to someone that's thinking about moving to New York? I mean, I don't think it's for everyone. I agree. Um, And usually you will find that out within the first year. Mm -hmm. I used to have a rule that I didn't um, date. Or become friends with anyone who hadn't lived here for at least a year yet because wow. they – I saw so many people who just didn't make it that first year and I didn't want to get attached. And also that first year is so crazy. Fresh and New Yorker really th- is a vibe. It is a vibe. It's a very specific type of person to date. Yeah. And I just like ha- was very hardline about that, especially with dating. I'm going on. I'm going on dates with someone who's a fresh New Yorker right now. Well, good luck with that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But it it really I again like if you hear if you hear the call, if you feel like you're meant to be here, um, t- definitely try it out. But only if you have like three thousand dollars. Yeah, it, like at truly, the very least. Unfortunately, a lot of it is about money. It's it's about honestly, it's about having a portal. Yeah. If that's money. If that's a friend who you can crash with or who will, you know, like show you around the city, if that's having family here, chosen, biological, whatever, I think a portal is very important. Mm-hmm. And for some people, that portal really just is believing this is the place they were yeah. always meant to be. And they figured out, I know so many people like that, who, like Madonna, who moved here mm-hmm. with $40, $37 in her pocket, whatever, and just... Make it work. Um, and if you if you feel the call to that extent, like, absolutely do it. But... Do you it, think you need a job to move here before you come here? It definitely helps. Yeah, it definitely helps. I don't think you do. I think job opportunities create themselves when you, you know, n- show up at parties and meet people and stuff like that. But um, if you're moving here, I definitely would say, like... Do, like, a stint here first. Like, have a summer here or have a month Mm -hmm. here. Or, like, crash with a friend. Find, like, a cheap living situation where you can sublet and just experience New York for a quick moment. Um, You'll experience all the magical parts of New York, but you have to pay attention to the things that are, like, wearing you down and see how much longevity that has. Because just as you said, New if you when you move here, if you've been living here for a few years... New York is at some point going to break your spirit. and Absolutely. A- and after it does the first time, which it might multiple times, but after it does the first time, it's up to you to decide whether it's worth it to continue. And I think that sometimes it's just too much. And you're like, this is actually not my vibe. Um, but I do, you used to be, I feel like now that you don't have to front three months rent in New York anymore, you can really move here with like three or four grand, you know, if you're finding roommates and stuff. But like, I think you should have like five, you should save up like $5,000. Like, I think when I moved here, I had saved up $4,000. I don't remember, but that's like very specific. (laughs) Yeah, I, you know, if I'm going off of I'm going off of more vibes than than capital. Uh Vibes.
Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing. Right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the L.A. Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, the story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You know what is the most New York moment ever? Oh, no. And I might have talked about this before. Um, so, Char- friend of the podcast, Charlene, she and I um, have been friends for a long time. And I, so Charlene, I think it's like 10 years ago now is when she started doing drag. And she and I became friends. We like saw each other out at TNT a lot and became and the beca- first gay bar I ever went to in New York. Um, yeah, and became friendly. And then one night at the Spectrum, uh, the the original Spectrum, we were, like, standing around chatting, and she said, you know that I'm 
and she said her dead name. And oh, and it was because she and I had lived in this that that apartment on the Lower East Side where I lived in a two bedroom with four other people. She had lived above me. <sighs> um, pre transition, pre both when both of us were pre transition, wow. and that was one of those like circular New York moments where I realized this person who was becoming very important with my life. Ha- she and I had known each other on this whole other point on our timelines like uh, uh, like at, at least like two lives ago from the point where we were now and um you know this is a person who is still one of my closest friends and um that is like such a new york moment to me it's like realizing that um the people around you are having these experiences that are running parallel to yours that intersect with yours and um you can be like a point on each other's timelines um and like sometimes you change in the same ways and like it's crazy that like a person who who like you used to think was just like the annoying you know neighbor who lives upstairs like a couple years later mm-hmm. is your like best trans girlfriend mm-hmm. I'm like i don't know that's kind of beautiful it is beautiful i have like a similar but very different story where one of the first gay bars i ever went to i don't know if this was t tnt or not but my first week in new york i was taken to a gay bar where i saw my like high school arch nemesis like someone who had bullied me like in this like dangerous like gay love triangle through my whole high school career. And I remember seeing him out at a bar and being like, oh my God. You know, when you move to New York, you come to like reinvent yourself a little bit, if that's not too cliche to say. You leave behind whatever you were before New York so you can just be your New York self. And so when I saw him at this bar, I remember being like, oh my God. Like you're just thrown back into the person you used to be for the lack of a better way of putting it. And I remember he pulled me aside and was like, Oh, it's so good to see you. You know, I have to tell you, I'm like, so sorry for like how I acted all those years ago. It was like not, it was like this like perfect apology, like just apologizing for all this like trauma that he had put me through or whatever. And I just remember thinking like, I don't care. Like, I don't care about you. Like you have nothing to do with my life anymore. And that is so much, that is so far away now. And we are like our ships passing in the wind in this gay bar. And then never, I never saw him again is, like, we're in our new lives. And, like, it felt so great for someone who used to torment me to actually, like, mean nothing in Mm. that space, you know? I think that there are a lot of, quote-unquote, the most New York moments ever are moments where I'm in a bar or in a club or at dinner, and I'm sitting there, and I think, oh, my God, I'm at dinner with blah, 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 and blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. And, like, one of them is, like, a celebrity, and the other one is, like, someone who I've idolized online forever. Or, like, I remember I used to reblog images that that person took, or, like, I, like, you're you're my idol, and you, you, did, you don't even know how much I stan you, and, like, we're friends now, or whatever. Like, you get to be friends with your heroes here. And I don't really mean celebrity heroes. I just mean, like, the artists that, you know, you admire and the people that you want to be in community with. Yes, but let's be real. The realest New York moments are when you cry on the subway (laughs) or see someone's dick on the subway or see someone's shit on the subway. Oh, not shit. Yeah. Oh, no. Or when you have sex on the subway. Have you read sex on the subway? Yeah, you (gasps) haven't. No! I've always wanted to. No. Yeah. Wow. Wow. 
That is... That's the real New York, baby. New York, New... uh, Cue Wendy Williams' cover of New York. Cue Lady Gaga's cover of New York, New York. Oh, what's that Have you ever seen that? It's from... There's this um, Frank Sinatra special that she covered New York, New York, and it is an incredibly iconic performance. I want to see that. Slide into our DMs at Like a Virgin 42069 to let us know are you a New Yorker? Are you a native New Yorker? What are your very first New York stories? And, um, you know, oh, wait, follow us on Instagram, follow us individually. I'm your co host, Rose Domu. You can follow me anywhere you want online at Rose Domu. And you can find me, Fran, at Fran Squishko, anywhere you want. Like a Virgin is an iHeartRadio production. Our producer is Phoebe Unter with support from Lindsay Hoffman and Nikki Etor. Uh, see you next week, Virgins. Bye. Me. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elia Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.